0: Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Today is Monday, October 31st. Happy Halloween. This is not my costume. <laughs> this is my This is my relaxed post-vacation golf shirt. So I hope that it's not I hope that you're, you know, do not adjust your screens, folks. Uh, this is this is actual reality. Thanks for being with us. Uh, normally today we'd have an amiable skeptics episode up, but uh, because both Adam Baldwin and I were on vacation last week. We didn't get a chance to record anything. We will be recording new episodes this week. So on Thursday, you should be able to see the latest episode and we're going to be focusing on midterms and maybe a a little bit about, uh, Elon Musk, a little bit about Twitter, you know, Adam and I get into these great wide ranging, um, uh, you know, conversations. And if you're a VIP member, you can watch each and every one of those episodes and uh, and they're always available here at hot air uh, so you can always go back to them and uh, the first episode should drop on Thursday. Uh, today, I talk with AJ Kaufman about the midterms, a little bit about Ukraine, but mostly about the midterms. Of course, AJ's a little bit of a skeptic um, on Republican chances. I'm a little bit more bullish on it. So it's a great conversation. You should really enjoy this. We talk a lot about uh, what what's going on in the polls, whether or not the polls are reflecting what actual reality is in this instance. I think that it's finally coming back around to actual reality. He thinks that there's actually uh, an actual Republican surge here coming up at the end. Either way, it's good news for the Republicans. We differ on how that's going to manifest itself in the actual midterm results. And of course, in eight days, we're going to figure that out or eight, nine, 10, 11 days, however long it takes to get the results back in some of these races. We'll start figuring out exactly what those results are, but we're coming down to the wire. So really everything that we're talking about is going to be midterm focused or (laughs) You know, maybe Elon Musk focused. I have a great, uh, you know, I I had a great response for my uh, post today on Elon Musk's claim to have uncovered evidence of fraud in the sale of Twitter. Um, he says more to come. Stay tuned. I ask, is anybody staying tuned to anything else but Elon Musk and the midterms? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. But I do know that um, we are all sort of hanging on this story. And for good reason. We're we're interested in making sure that we can return free speech principles to a speech platform like Twitter. And I don't know if we're going to get that from Elon Musk. He's he's trying to tamp down some expectations of immediate changes. Right now, he's saying that the whatever the policies were before a sale are still in place. But they're looking at it. They're going to form some sort of. Uh, moderation council at Twitter. I volunteered my services as long as it's an adjunct. I like my job. I don't want to go work for Elon Musk. I really don't want to work for Elon Musk in the sense of drawing a salary. But if if he's looking for people to sit on a council and talk about how Twitter should be moderated, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, I've also nominated, you know, Adam for that. Might be, might actually be closer to the issue anyway. He's probably a better choice, but, um, but yeah, we've got a lot of great content coming up today, and uh, you know, for the next couple of weeks at least. At hot air regarding the midterms. Uh if if you're watching this, you've probably already seen some of the other things that we're talking about here. I have a VIP column up today talking about CBSU Gov's generic ballot of R plus two, but R plus 16 among independents. It's really emblematic of what the problem is with polling right now. And um, I mean, this is really a very strange, um, a, a very strange polling result from an, uh, from a pollster that has been a consistent outlier. That actually comes up in my conversation with AJ as well. Uh Karen Townsend uh talks about uh, uh, talks about the uh Georgia gubernatorial debate where uh, Stacey Abrams is doubling down on the race card. I actually have that, uh I have a clip from that in a later post, not VIP, um, on um a poll from the Grio, which is a um a progressive black publication um that shows Defund the Police is only getting 17% support from black voters. Uh, twice as many uh voter twice as many black voters want police funding increased rather than decreased and 48% want it kept the same as it was before so um it's very much a fringe um uh fringe movement i've got that post um probably up as you're seeing this and um that is <laughs> Uh yeah, that's that's something else. And uh David Ferdoso over at the Washington Examiner actually has a really good um editorial or, or column on this. Um which I quote in in my post about this. But I also embed a clip from that Saturday debate uh, between Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp where Brian Kemp talks about how he's gotten the endorsement of 107 sheriffs in Georgia and Stacey Abrams dismisses this as 107 people who want to take black people off the streets. Well, even among black voters, that message isn't selling. And so my question is just who are Democrats talking to these days? Because it's not, it's not the mainstream of American voters on any of these issues. It's a very, very narrow band of elite academics that they're, that they're calculating their messaging towards. And they're about to reap the whirlwind of that particular choice. James Carville has been talking about this for months. He's been talking about this for months. Democrats are not listening. Uh, they're about to get, I think, uh, really um in a way that maybe might outstrip 2014 in terms of expectations. Everybody expected Democrats to get wiped out in 2010. Nobody really expected the big wipeout in 2014. I think that's the scale that we're, we should be looking at in, in terms of what we're approaching next week. Uh, lots of other great stuff. Um, Uh, John Sexton is following up on, and this is the thing I really wanted to talk about today. John Sexton is going to follow up on this Paul Pelosi assault story, which is just, I mean, first off, it's a terrible story. Uh, you know, the guy's in in his eighties and he gets hit in the head with a hammer. That's a terrible story. It's awful. Um, what we don't know, however, is what the hell was going on there. And yet the media is just piling up on this saying it's because Republicans run Perfectly normal political ads that highlight Nancy Pelosi as a Democratic Party leader as a reason not to vote for Democrats. Now, that is that is mainstream politics. There is nothing unusual about that. And yet you had people across the media spectrum demanding that Republicans take down those ads because it... It was the proximate cause of this assault on, on the Pelosi's. That's absurd. It's insane. It doesn't even follow the facts of this case. And, uh, Michael Schellenberger has actually been doing a great job of going out and getting the reporting on this. Uh, John Sexton is going to follow up on that. He's got a post, he, he's got a post that will be up by the time you see this. So you should go look at this, but this is the, this is what I really wanted to say today, and John's probably going to say this something very similar. He's writing it as we're as, as I'm recording this, which is that the mainstream media is not about reporting the news anymore. It's not about reporting the facts. It's about crafting a narrative and imposing a didactic on their audience. And this is a it's a it's almost a reductio ad absurdum of this. This is the same media that couldn't bother to report on actual political violence. When you had an assassin show up on Brett Kavanaugh's uh, street, thanks to doxing by radical extremists on abortion who were conducting illegal uh, demonstrations in front of these justices houses. There's a federal law against that, that the department of justice wouldn't enforce. And when that assassin showed up, he was charged with attempted murder. He's charged with intending to assassinate uh, Justice Bre- Brett Kavanaugh. And the media treated it like it's an, a local news story and had and never connected any dots to the rhetoric that was going on in front of Brett Kavanaugh's house at the time. And yet... The same media that couldn't bother to report on that, the same media that kept telling us that the Hunter Biden laptop story was Russian disinformation, is now the media that's saying, oh, you can't run political ads that mention Nancy Pelosi because it might create violence. This is nuts. I don't know who the media thinks they're talking to, but the American people are a lot smarter than this. And apparently, The people who run these media outlets are not very smart at all. And it's become very clear that these guys are nothing more than a propaganda wing for this administration and for the Democratic Party. And it's becoming more and more clear as we go along. And I got to tell you, I mean, I was on vacation. (laughs) wanting to write something to this effect. I'm like, no, you're on vacation. You really need rest. You really need to take a break. You took a vacation for a reason. Um, And I did, <laughs> I did do a little bit of work. I won't, I won't say, I won't say hire or where, but you know, when you're in charge of stuff, you got to still do a little bit of work. But I'm glad that, uh, you know, David Strom's been um, writing about this. John Sexton's been writing some great posts about this. Jazz Shaw, Karen Townsend, Beach Wellborn. They're, they're doing a great job and it was fine for me to step away because these guys are terrific. Uh but in this podcast I wanted to make sure that we got that message out. This this current media industry is corrupt as hell. You can't trust a damn thing that they say. And the idea that this is some sort of uh reason to shut up Republicans is just part of their overall mission to shut down Republicans. And that's how you have to look at this. And by the way, that's the reason why you should sign up for VIP. We're going to have a pitch at the end, though. I won't get into that. <laughs> anyway, I hope you have a great, uh, a great day. Be sure to stick around. There's lots more content coming up at Hot Air. You're going to have a lot of great posts to, to read and to comment on if you're a VIP or a VIP Gold member. Uh, we're going to get back to um, the, the Amiable Skeptic show this week. Plus, I've got my VIP gold chat coming up on Wednesday at 1.30 Eastern time. So with Cam Edwards, I come back to that. Apparently, they had a great time without me. We're going to find out about that. Let me tell you. (laughs) Thanks for watching. Now, stay tuned for AJ Kaufman on the midterms and then that final VIP pitch at the end. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Joining us before the midterms, AJ Kaufman, political commentator extraordinaire. He's everywhere these days. I don't even know where to. I don't even know where to plug you, AJ. Uh, <laughs> these days, you're kind of writing for
1: everybody. I try. I try to spread out the good word, whether it's on politics or or local news, whatever it might be, uh, or cats. I hear cats in the background. There you go. (laughs) The cats will always be around cheering me on, apparently, at any time on the air. Yes.
0: All right. Well, that's good. That's good. I think that's a good sign. And speaking of signs, we're going to talk about the midterms. We're also going to get to Ukraine at the end of the uh, thing because there's some good developments, uh, or at least interesting developments in that story, too. But, you know, the midterms, I have my theory ...about the polls in the midterms, which is that the so-called Democratic rebound over the summer and Joe Biden's rebound over the summer was nothing more than a media narrative, narrative journalism that leaked into a bunch of media commission polls... And now that you're coming down to the wire where polls have to start thinking about how they're going to look after the election results come in, all of a sudden we're seeing renewed enthusiasm and a and and a a shift in momentum to the GOP in the closing days. I I'm not really buying that. What what what's your take
1: on that, AJ? I think there's some relevance to what you're saying. Um there's no doubt that the media is controlled by Democrats or those sympathetic to them, um, some of the polling outlets outside of Trafalgar and a couple others certainly probably are controlled by people who are sympathetic to progressives and liberal ideology. But um, you know, I've always said from day one, and Ed, you and I have been discussing this for a year probably, and we've at gone through some of the primaries. <laughs> yeah, that the twenty twenty four map is great for Republicans, the Senate map if you look at it. But the twenty twenty two map has never been great for Republicans. Right. Um, and then you factor in some lackluster candidates. I could think of three or four. Um, subpar candidates who sure. had had the GOP primary voters chosen someone else in each of those races. I don't think they'd even be in play. You know, they they did well in Missouri picking Eric Schmidt. We haven't thought about Missouri in three months because yeah, of that. we talked about but Missouri. We talked about that before Schmidt won the primary,
0: right? Which was, Hey, that there's going to be a risk. We also talked about Don Bolduc in uh, New Hampshire who, mm-hmm. you know, Maggie Hassan's Aiken strategy worked out pretty well there, or at least it seems that way. Although recent polling there suggest that that might end up backfiring on democrats.
1: It's possible. They did promote a lot of the the more populous maga candidates democrats because they thought those people would be easier to defeat and that may backfire in New Hampshire. It may it, I don't think it will by the way. I do think Maggie Hassan will hang on. The democrats seem to always hang on in New Hampshire much as Republicans seem to usually hang on in uh, in Texas and elsewhere when democrats have some optimism. But, um, you know, on the other hand, uh, and and Kari Lake or Carrie Lake, who is a lunatic, but has run actually a very focused campaign now that she's stopped talking about election conspiracies and actually focused on um, actual issues, has done pretty well. And she's doing better than Blake Masters. And Blake Masters, along with Dr. Oz and Herschel Walker, are subpar candidates who, had we chosen someone else in those states, I believe, uh, certainly in, in Arizona and Pennsylvania, we would be winning. Not to mention in Ohio, where I do think Republicans will probably still win because Mike DeWine, the, the much maligned, you know, by people on the far right, Mike DeWine, who was a phenomenal governor, is up by twenty points in some polls and is going to win, and he very well may be able to pull JD Vance, who was a subpar candidate pushed by Donald Trump, over the finish line. JD Vance is a you know has a good story, but he decided to become a different kind of person when he ran for office, and even in a red state like Ohio, where I used to live. Vance is struggling. So, you know, and we can also talk about other states like Wisconsin, North Carolina, where, you know, perhaps a different candidate might do better, but I think we should be okay in those states. I don't think we're going to have a
0: problem in Wisconsin. And I thought Johnson was actually the, the the weakest of the incumbents coming into
1: this. He is very weak. Um, Let me just say this on Wisconsin. Uh, Johnson's going to win probably in a close race in a bluish state running as a very, very conservative candidate. He always seems to wind up winning. But that's mostly because the Democrats are morons in Wisconsin. Well, they... Mandela Barnes is <laughs> Mandela right. Barnes turns Thank out you.
0: to be like the. Uh, you know I, we talk about candidate quality, right? When it comes to Republicans, nobody's talking about that when it comes to Mandela Barnes. Mandela Barnes is a lunatic. <laughs> that's correct. He's uh, in his thirties. He
1: is lieutenant governor of the state. Which he is a lot. So is John but... Fetterman in Pennsylvania. <laughs> right. Yeah. Lieutenant governors, thankfully, are is a, is a pretty irrelevant role in most states. And that's why you see some of these crazy guys that wind up running for governor and senator, and you're like, wow, how did this guy become the number two person in the state? Uh, But Barnes, yeah, if if the Wisconsin Democrats had run someone sane, and they had a few candidates in the primary, and best I recall, they all dropped out when Mandela Barnes got in, which says a lot about another issue that we don't need to get into, but they clearly didn't want to run against him. And he's an awful candidate, no matter how much Barack Obama and others go to pump him up. Democrats should win that state. It's a bluish state and the population centers will go for Democrats. But outside of Milwaukee and Madison, you know, Ron Johnson is going to rack up probably 75, 80 percent of the vote and win that race, even though I think it'll be close. Um, So candidate quality matters, which has been a theme all over. We see that at the gubernatorial level. Senate and even House.
0: Well, I think, you know, when you have a, a candidate who's professing his admiration for, you know, Ali Khamenei <laughs> on Twitter <laughs> and doesn't clean that up before he starts running for the U.S. Senate, you know, discussing his uh, his desire to uh, be posted to Havana because he admires the Castro regime. Um, well, you know, in Madison, that, might that so, works. It, well, it, it might work in California, too, for that matter. Even statewide, it might work in California. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I mean... There are so many things wrong with the Mandela Barnes campaign and the Democrats' uh, selection of them, just on sheer, you know, operational issues. Don't you just dump the Twitter feed and start over from scratch when you've got a candidate like that? Just delete it. Make people look through the Wayback Machine to try to find any um any weird tweets. But no... <laughs> Those tweets are still live. I wrote a post about this. I was on vacation last week, right? So I wrote a post about this the week before last, and those those tweets were still live. I mean, they were embeddable. Now, maybe by this time it's been deleted. I haven't gone back to check, but I mean, it's just crazy stuff in this. Um, and, yeah, and look, it's not, not it,
1: covered as much, though, by the media, unfortunately.
0: No, no, but uh, you, you got to give the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel some credit. They at least did report on it. Yes, they did. So, uh, yeah, but... But look I mean I think that, I think that I I hear you on candidate quality cuz candidate quality clearly matters. But I think mm-hmm. when you're looking at Georgia and when you're looking at Arizona and you're even looking at New Hampshire where I think Bolduck was really a maybe the 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 most questionable of all the choices that were made, right? And and I know what happened there is that you know uh Maggie Hassan did the Claire uh, did the Claire McCaskill strategy, mm-hmm. picked her picked the her her most favored opponent and made sure that he won in the primary by attacking uh, everybody else. Um, I think when you're looking at the, uh, the environment of this electorate, and I think people are still underestimating (laughs) what this, what this environment actually is. uh, I don't, I think that that actually pulls the marginal candidates across pretty easily. And I think when you're looking at, Tiffany Smiley getting within a couple of points of Patty Murray in Washington, for instance, I I am not going to predict that Smiley is going to win that race. But the fact that she's even in within a virtual tie range of Murray tells you something about this environment. And we haven't had a high inflation um, electoral environment in 42 years in in an election.
1: Right. And And, and that's what's pulling the GOP ahead in the House for sure. And uh, hopefully, plus crime. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, Democrats have started, especially Democrats in closely contested races, have begun to talk more about crime, Social Security, Medicare. That's been a big topic all of a sudden. The Democrats, they're bleeding working class voters yeah that's they a distraction about working class concerns right everybody so, knows that's a distraction
0: too because i mean the cbs YouGov poll which i shred today by the way in in a vip column um <laughs> for for lots of reasons um that's the same poll that has republicans up 16 points against democrats in the generic ballot among independents but somehow only r plus 2 overall i mean you go figure out how that <laughs> How that math works I, I i i looked at those i looked at that poll and i still can't figure out how they end up with only r plus two except that it's cbs and you uh but one of the things that they talk about in there is that voters really aren't worried about social security and medicare they don't think republicans are going to cut it and uh, and and it's not one of their main concerns their biggest concern in that poll by far okay. is the economy and inflation and the and uh, those are almost tied. For the top two slots, and coming in third is crime. I, I mean, and Democrats aren't talking
1: about those things to the extent. Well, they try, they're They're starting to a little bit. Well, but they're calling it they racist. Been focusing, <laughs> calling
0: they've been focusing on
1: abortion, gun control, climate change, and "quote unquote," you know, safeguarding or saving democracy. That doesn't connect. That connects with white, woke, liberal elites in wealthy suburbs and college campuses. It doesn't connect with working-class voters and swing voters. So belatedly, some of them wake up and start reminding candidates or reminding each other that they need to convince these swing voters or working-class voters that they care about their economic well-being, but they do it with only a fortnight left. And of course, they're talking about Social Security and Medicare, which it might get cheers at a rally, but I don't know if that's going to be You know the deciding factor, Uh, and nor nor will abortion, nor will safeguarding democracy and climate change. I mean, it's what it's what you said it is. And Democrats, it's amazing how long it takes them. Uh, You mentioned that the issues. I'm looking at some a poll that I pulled up this morning. I forget where it comes from. It comes from a left leaning outlet. uh, Voters want candidates for Congress, which I guess includes Senate, to prioritize inflation in the economy and the most important issues. Inflation, thirty seven percent jobs in the economy, 35, crime, 23, immigration, 22. Now you do get social security and Medicare and gun control at 20%, but then you got to go way, way down at, to find abortion and even farther down to find voting rights, coronavirus, and much to my dismay, national security is way toward the bottom too. But that's, that's <laughs> Well, it's a expensive.
0: congressional election, right? I mean, national it's security kind, is more kind. of a pr- presidential election cycle sort of thing. And, and, and it's not the pressing issue. In this in this cycle, I mean, if if the economy was healthy and crime rates were low, things like abortion might matter. I mean, healthcare mattered in 2018, yeah, because everything else was pretty good, right? Republicans tried to run on the border again um, and blew it because nobody was concerned about the border. After the Republicans had screwed up the repeal of Obamacare, everybody was worried about what was going to go on with health care. And Republicans didn't have a plan for it. And so the, and of course, it's, it's midterms. You had the Russian collusion thing going on. So Republicans mm-hmm. were talking past the voters on on the issue that mattered most you know uh, trump was the issue that mattered most in that cycle really but healthcare was the was the they're issue trying to bring up trump area.
1: you notice trump yeah. has been pretty quiet he's done a few rallies it's been pretty quiet since about labor day and that's about the time that the polls started going back toward the republicans favor i have to be honest here um you know when donald trump is an issue it helps democrats when yeah. he's not it helps republicans i agree with people that. should think about that for 2024 when i agree think with about that who they want to vote for in a in a presidential primary. I agree um, with that, but I want to
0: get past the midterms before I start getting into that too much. Yeah, no, that's all I was saying.
1: I was just, just saying, just saying. It, it's um they, Candidate quality, candidate quality, candidate quality. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, this should be, in despite the unfavorable map, with all the things we mentioned about the environment and Biden's lack of popularity, we should be getting up to 54 or 55 seats. So when I hear people who are a little bit Pollyannish, like Kellyanne Conway and others, say we're going to get 54 55 seats, that'd be great. But we would be much more likely to get that had our nominees been different in the four or five key states. Um, I still think I won't make objections. Oh, you're talking talking about in the Senate.
0: You're talking about. You're talking about. I'm sorry, in the Senate. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was I was thinking you're talking about House pickups because we're going to. No, the House. The House That's that's, that's that's our huge. That's a well, huge Nick number. Well, Newt Gingrich was
1: talking seventy at some point, but he actually has been put out to pasture, I think, and <laughs> laughed off the stage. Um, most people, most, most sane people, are now talking fifteen to twenty, maybe twenty-five. No, I I'll think go it's away. good. I, I, I think the
0: over/under is twenty-five, and I'm taking the over.
1: Um, look, I mean, you have to look at all the races. You really do because that means that almost all the close ones would have to go the Republicans' way, which it could. They could, um, but that's a lot in forget. this
0: environment. In this environment,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: And I'm telling you right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, 25, 25 seats doesn't even get you to where you were at after, uh, the, the 2010 race. Um, so those seats, Yeah, but you started edible.
1: from a much lower point. No, no. That's what I'm
0: saying they, though. Yeah. We, we were at uh, 100 uh, Republicans were at 188 seats, mm-hmm. uh, going into 2010, they won 63 seats. So they ended up with 251 seats. Mm-hmm. Well, that's 39 off from where we're at right now. Okay. So I think that the over under here is 25, 25 is a decent night for Republicans. I think it's actually going to be higher than that. I think you're going to get back up to about two fifty based on what the polling looks like at the moment. And, and honestly, what the electoral environment looks like at the moment. And this gets back to something that we've been kind of talking about throughout this conversation, which is that the news media pollsters are, have really missed the boat on what the daily lived experience of voters are in this environment, the daily lived experience of this lived experience Ed. Uh, good word. Lived yeah. experience. I've been saying this for months. The lived experience of voters. Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> so flog, I'm flogging my brand now. Okay, so you know, the daily lived experience of, of American voters are is inflation at the grocery store, shortages at the grocery store, crime, and um, and to some extent. Border issues, but I think that that depends on where you live, too. Um, So that is, I mean, but across the country, inflation and crime are the daily lived experiences of Americans. And that gets worse as you get into the cities, which is where the Democrats' power base is at. And that's the reason why I think that this actually is going to be a much bigger uh, a red wave than, than, uh, than maybe even the polls are showing at the moment. And it's also the reason why, AJ, that I never bought the Democratic rebound based on abortion over the summer. That to me was an entirely media created, um, uh, you know, narrative. And to the extent that there was any sort of um, rebound on that, it was because the, that was all the media wanted to talk about. Now this week, You know, I just came back from vacation. Now this week, it's all about how political rhetoric is endangering uh, members of Congress and their families. And Republicans have to pull ads off the air because Paul Pelosi got assaulted in his Mm -hmm. home. Um, And I'm I mean, I'm astounded that they're pulling this. (laughs) Because it was just three months ago that an assassin showed up on Brett Kavanaugh's street based on information from radical extremists that, were, uh, that had doxxed him and the other Supreme Court justices whose, whose admitted deliberate motive was to change the outcome of Dobbs uh, you know, versus Women's Health. Um, and <laughs> the media covered it like it was a local news story. But suddenly now, political rhetoric is bad. And I don't think anybody's buying this crap anymore. I don't think there's a single person whose vote is convertible in this race that is buying this crap anymore from the media.
1: Well, that's And that's true. That's what uh, Chris Sununu um, and Tom Emmer, uh, who's a Minnesota congressman, oh, yeah. chair of the, our, the Republican Congressional Committee, Minnesota Sinunu, Six. The governor of New Hampshire. Right, exactly. But I used to live. Um, they were on CBS and uh, NBC, respectively, and uh, they were being pressured by Chuck Todd and Margaret Brennan to condemn, you know, the hammer attack. And of course, they did. But they also mentioned Kavanaugh and Scalise. Um, and in Scalise's case, of course, people were shot. In Kavanaugh's case, no one, thankfully, was physically harmed. So it's a little, a little bit different, I guess, but a Supreme Court justice versus the husband of a Speaker of the House. You know, you can you can compare that as you will. Um, I I think you're right. People aren't concerned about that. I I think my only concern still besides candidate quality, and I do realize abortion is an issue for a lot of suburban, again, upper middle class folks. Some of them are swing voters. Um, I know a couple who may swing their vote one way or another based on that, More, unfortunately more likely to the left. But it's very murky out there. That's my concern, Ed. It's murkier than usual because of the bizarre nature of so many of these races, because of the candidates, because of the issues, because of even Trump. At this point, races are usually baked in, and we're seeing real fluctuations in the polls. I was pretty confident 24, 36 hours ago. And then this morning, Real Clear Politics drops the New York Times, Siena poll showing Oz down six, Walker yeah. down three, no. Masters, who I think has very little chance because he's a terrible candidate, it's a Tucker Carlson candidate, enough said. He's down six or seven, and Laxalt, who I'm pretty confident is at even. Again, these polls will be wrong, could be wrong, but it's um, it's one of those issues. How many people have voted early? And I still think, unfortunately, Fetterman is likely to win that race because over a million Pennsylvanians voted early before the disastrous debate. And Oz, again, not to be redundant, is a bad candidate. He actually had a very bad debate, Oz. He's a he's a novice. He's not a traditional Republican. He reminds me a little bit of Trump. He's sort of new to conservative speak. Yep. And if you watch that debate, it was the worst debate of the year by far. By the way, I've watched all of them. It's unfortunate that was the one that that got national attention because it was terrible. You watch the Michigan governor's debate. You watch the Florida debates. They were good, good debates. Even Wisconsin was a good debate. But Oz was bad. He didn't know how to answer questions. And he seemed like he had a list of seven or eight points he wanted to make and rambled them off and went on from there. I think he'll be a good senator if he wins. I think he's a terrible candidate. We should have had McCormick or Bartos in that state and probably would have won. And of course... The elephant in the room is Mastriano, who is a raging lunatic, anti-Semitic jackass who is going to lose badly in the, to the, in the governor's race. And that yeah. will pull down Oz a little bit, too.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you about that. I think Shapiro is obviously the superior candidate there in the gubernatorial race in Pennsylvania. And I think Shapiro was always going to run away with that one, uh, regardless of what the r- yeah, what the problem. political environment was. I, I don't think the Siena poll. I think the Siena poll. I saw that this morning. Looks like an outlier to me. Um and I've seen some – Siena's not necessarily been the most reliable pollster in the field either, especially when they're teaming up with the New York Times. And I'm sorry, but those media commission polls have problems. That CBS YouGov poll is insane, and it has been all along. YouGov has been an outlier on Joe Biden's uh, – on the generic uh, generic ballot and on Joe Biden's approval rating uh, all year long. and um, And this yeah. – <laughs> this result i haven't had a chance to really dig into um I, i've only seen the top lines from sienna on these races i haven't had a chance to dig into Oh, their, i know um, you dig into them
1: a lot deeper than the average person so that's good you look at, and, and people should look at what who they poll yeah um and i'm glad you do and and i just i just happen to see that today um what I'll, what I'll say this ed and we can co- sort of close our election talk and maybe move on to ukraine and sure. um democrats success really will depend on whether these candidates their candidates most of whom are pretty weak as well, with a few exceptions, whether these candidates will rise or can rise above Biden's historically low approval ratings and and the national mood. So Biden's at like 35 percent in most of these states. I think he's a little higher in Pennsylvania, but he's he's around 35, 36, 37 in Nevada and Georgia and Arizona. And, you know, obviously, Mark Kelly is beating up Biden's approval rating in Arizona by like double figures. And Fetterman is still ahead of Biden by, I think, seven or eight his approval in Pennsylvania. I don't know what Warnock is, who's another awful candidate, um, what his compared to Biden. That's the problem, is that, you know, these guys are all probably slightly more popular than Biden is in these states. And that's what concerns me. You can't just say Biden's unpopular and historically bad president. Hence, Democrats will lose all these races. Um, We'll have to see. Um, I also think, by the way, education is an issue we don't talk about as much. Parental Um, parental rights in education, yeah. Yeah. saw that in Virginia last year. I don't think that's gone away, especially again, as we move into the winter.
0: Again, the daily lived experience of American families.
1: Lived experiences.
0: <laughs> that's, that's one of the daily lived experiences of, Amer- of American families. And mm-hmm. the, and the uh, shutdowns and remote learning was a, uh, was a revolutionary moment. In, in mm-hmm. that it's the reason why, and you take a look at what happened last year in Virginia and New Jersey too. New Jersey, Phil Murphy damn near lost right. that election, and nobody had that on their radar. Everybody thought that um, uh, that Virginia was too blue for Republicans to win, and they end up sweeping the statewide races based on what? Based on the daily lived experiences and the radical extremism of the Democratic Party in education, and that issue hasn't gone away. And and again, that's that's all part of this gestalt. Dwayne Patterson in his VIP column this morning talks about the three, you know, the three legged stools. It, it, we talk about it in terms of conservatism. He's talking about it in terms of the overall electorate. You know, messing with your messing with your paycheck, messing with your family. And I forget what the third one is. It's a really great post.
1: And um, you, you may see that. You may see that in New York with Zeldin being close. I don't know if he'll win, but he's very close. And there's a lot of yeah. congressional races in upstate New York that are very close that normally aren't. Um, you may see that there. You may see that in Michigan yeah. with the governor's race. You may see that maybe in the L.A. mayor's race in California, you, 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 other places you might see it where, 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 where liberal politicians shut down schools and ruin kids and families' lives for a year or two or two and a half. All right, AJ. Yes. Before we move on to
0: Ukraine, I got to get your prediction. What's your prediction for the Senate?
1: Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> um, look, I, 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 I'm I'm less optimistic than a lot of Republicans. And it's not, I have, we have friends, I have friends that are even less optimistic. And I have friends who are bullish, talking 54, 55 Senate seats. Um, if I had a gun to my head, um, and hopefully I don't have a gun to my head, because that would be scary. Uh, I would, I would say... And again, this is not being recorded, of course. (laughs) course I certainly believe uh, look, there could be a red wave. I don't know about we might get to 53-54. That's possible. We saw two years ago, Susan Collins, Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, and Tom Tillis were all in like heated races and won by 20 points or 10 points. So it's either going to be like 53-54, or I would say 50-50. And I say 50-50 because I don't think we're going to pick up any seats except for maybe Nevada. And an outside chance at georgia but i would say just one seat we pick up um and i think we lose pennsylvania
0: all right i'm gonna i'm gonna predict 52 okay i'll predict 52 and I, i'll predict that we're gonna be in the 240s in the house
1: yeah i would I, I don't know if 240 would mean we would add how many seats 28 seats okay and i'm gonna go around 20 but right. i would i would have to look at individual races because even though 80 85 percent of house races are never up for grabs that still means fifteen or twenty percent are, which by my quick math means sixty or 70, 80 seats are are in play. And you know, yeah, we could win a lot of those. Certainly, i would have to look at all of them though.
0: All right, now let's talk about Ukraine. We've got about five minutes left. I want to talk a little bit about this because you cover this quite a bit. And I've been following this even though I've been on vacation because it's you know a very important story. You know, nuclear war sort of gets your attention even when the you're at Walt does Disney not World stop when
1: Ed Morrissey goes on vacation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I just went away for a week and y'all just missed everything. I don't know. I don't know. What, I don't know what to say to you guys.
1: All right. Yeah. You missed, you, you missed, you missed Pramila Jayapal. That was the best of the week or the worst. Ah, damn it.
0: Yeah. Pramila Jayapal, um, <laughs> released him, released a, uh, a, a memo critical of supporting Ukraine, uh, on behalf of house progressives that ended up blowing up in her face, claiming that she never, authorized the release uh, that it, a staffer did it and that a staffer came back and uh, uh, was leaking on, you know, not on the record saying, no, she's the one who authorized that none of us would have been stupid enough to release that without her. Okay.
1: <laughs> and she takes, she takes full responsibility, but the staffer is to blame. I think that's the, the gist of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah not apology um, apology. Yes. Gee, look, she, I, I, I ironically, I told a few people, A few days before that that i'm still waiting for the far left to turn against ukraine now i realize we have a cabal in and on the populist maga right that has been against ukraine aid for a while 57 or so voted against it earlier this summer yeah um some some are more against it than others but majority republicans are still in favor of it but i kept thinking where are these left-wing democrats who always oppose military action um they were only supporting it tacitly i think because biden's president and you know the isolationism if you will On the far right and far left is is similar. There's rhetoric from Bernie Sanders that I would hear on Tucker Carlson and so on, or Ron Paul. You know, back in the day. So Jayapal, this was signed by all of your favorite people, all of your dinner guests: Corey Bush, AOC, Barbara Lee, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Pressley. Where she did to leave? How would that be for a dinner at a nice steakhouse? Those people hanging out with you for a while, boy, that would be fun. Um, (laughs) But they want, they want an end to the war. They want diplomacy. They want peace negotiations um so does so do people on the far right like paul gosar who wants to have them in phoenix he wants to bring putin and g putin and g that'd be funny too he wants to bring putin and Zelensky to some hotel in phoenix to hammer out a negotiation to end this war which is the most ridiculous thing i've heard in a while probably the one in but, scottsdale
0: um, it's got a great golf course next yeah like I, say,
1: I was in scottsdale or you know ventana canyon you know there you go yeah that's um, another good one yeah so jayapal they, they wrote this in july so they've been thinking this since july And uh, they admitted it. It's what they believe. They're lying when they say they rescind it. And the hard left is equally or more opposed to our involvement as the neo-isolationist right. And it's all political. Um, I'm glad some Democrats stood up and said it was ridiculous. The timing is hilarious and sad because of not only the elections, but Putin's marching on and trying to, you know, some some troops are withdrawing. But Putin's also, you know, on the brink of nuclear war, some people believe. Um, at least Ro said that he thought the letter was common sense. He told CNN he's a far left guy, but he's an honest guy. Right. So I said in my column to close it out. I just, just so you know, I said uh, any negotiating with Russia over the heads of Ukraine is immoral. No useful diplomacy should occur as long as Ukrainians are willing to fight for their homeland, and Putin refuses to cede territory. The best way to counter Putin is to continue supporting Ukraine's heroic struggle against Russian forces. And look. I think you want to end this with peaceful negotiations, Ed? Return all Ukrainian territory, including Crimea. Have right. Russia pay all the reconstruction costs. Return all the Ukrainian citizens. Turn over Russia's political and military leaders for war crimes at The Hague. Remove Russia from the UN Security Council. This isn't, that's that's harsh, but that's... That's feasible. a surrender. That's just, I, My friend, that is not a negotiation that's a surrender, and that's never going to happen. Not willingly. I know it's not going to happen, but it's just it's, it's no more far-fetched and exotic than having negotiations at the golf course in Scottsdale or at Pramila's house in Seattle. Hey, we can bring it. We can bring them down to central Texas. There's
0: a couple of nice places out here. And if they if they annoy us, there's lots of empty space that we can dump them in.
1: Um. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, 70 percent of Republicans still support the Ukrainian war effort. So yeah. for Biden and the Democrats to act like Republicans are against it, most oh. of them, most of them, most of them are not on the side of, of some of these radical congressmen or, or the, or the federalists. Or the, or the Nation magazine on the left—they're just not. I, I, I will give you this. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: I, I will argue with you on on to some extent on this. I think that there is a principled position that says we shouldn't be involved in this, and to the because it it threatens a wider war to have us involved in this, and it's a European issue, and that we should let the Europeans uh, settle this. I think that there's, I think that that's a, there's a, I don't necessarily agree with it, but that's a principled position. I think the idea that, you know, there's a, a radical fringe in, on the right, uh, on, on the right that believe that Vladimir Putin is actually the defender of Western civilization in yeah, Eastern Europe, is. which is nuts. And I've run across people, you know, for years trying to make that argument. And I've tried for to years, wow. tried to disabuse. I, I'm telling you, I had, I had a, a, a very good friend of mine, um, at um, this is back in Minnesota, where, you know, at, at the church who kept telling me, oh, this is what Vladimir Putin's doing for, you know, Western Christianity. He's defending Western Christian values. Yeah, They've gone to the Christian
1: thought that a lot of people and I've heard it. They're, they're saying he's the defender of Western Christianity. I've heard yeah. that. Yeah.
0: And and I I mean, and he wasn't the only one. He's the one that I talked to the most because he was a good friend of mine. And I kept trying to tell him <laughs> think, the only use that Vladimir Putin has of Christianity is as a mask for Russian imperialism. This is, this is the same Russian imperialism that goes back to the czars. And 105 years we have been can well, go back to the czars even more than 105 oh, years oh yeah. my goodness you can go back you can go back three four hundred years with this stuff this is great game stuff this is you know this this is the crimean war you know of 160 years ago stuff this is this is not a um yeah and, and, and i think our new. retreat
1: would, would would not deter putin it would only embolden him we that's my think about that's China my who's watching a that's loss for word. moscow would be a loss for beijing and look i'd also mention we're not fighting i think people know that but some people may not And I think also there is oversight of the financial side of what's going to uh, Ukraine. And most of the funds appropriated by Congress, most, not all, end up with American defense contractors. So, well, true. And a lot of these isolationist factions, they love taxpayer backed subsidies for U.S. manufacturing jobs. They should applaud this.
0: Well, right. And, (laughs) you know, I mean, look, I mean, this is a lot of this is replacement. This is, you know, we're sending them the inventory we already have and we're replacing it. Sure. Uh, With with these funds. So, yes, you're going to see more manufacturing. The question is, are we replacing it fast enough? And do we have the material and the resources to replace it fast enough? That's a good question. That's a fair question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, AJ, we're out of time, but tell us where people can find you now. Uh, In the hills. No, Um,
1: (laughs) you can find me at At survivalist camp. That's where you can find AJ. (laughs) 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 Jeff Dunnett's famous, famous lid blog. Uh LedBlock.com, Lid Israel National News.com, and various newspapers in small towns from Ohio and Minnesota to Tennessee and Virginia. I kid you not. I am everywhere, as you said. Although in most of those papers, I'm covering local news, um, which can be also nationally important as well. So um, is this Israel national news? Is this real national
0: news? Israel national news the same thing as a root
1: It is good pronunciation. It is the same as Arut Shiva. Okay. Yes. Great. I, I, yeah.
0: So, yeah, you can find it either way, by the way. But the, I think people might be more familiar with, with that term than Israel National News. So I just want to make sure that people understand that. Uh, I, oh, I want okay. to make sure I understood it. And I want to make sure that everybody else. Is I did, I, I'm did. i glad
1: much. to hear our audience is familiar with, with the Hebrew.
0: <laughs> well, that's about it. That and Shalom is pretty much my entire.
1: Probably <laughs> my... the same as most Jews.
0: Yeah. America. Well, Well. and and I'm <laughs> Catholic, but Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, AJ Kaufman, thank you so much for being with us and stay tuned for another message coming up right after this from the Ed Morrissey Show. Thank you for watching or listening to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and through the Town Hall Media Player, or you can just come to hotair.com and watch my podcast for free. However, I'd also love to have you join us as members of our VIP and VIP gold programs. That allows us to defeat the stranglehold that big tech has on information and get you the best information that we possibly can. Plus, we have a lot of new value-added content coming to us from town hall media uh, stars. And my good friend Adam Baldwin, he and I are doing the video series, The Amiable Skeptics. It's one hour of discussion a week, strictly for our VIP and VIP gold members. Plus, we have our VIP Gold chat with Kem Edwards every Wednesday afternoon at 1.30 p.m. We'd love to have you as members. Be sure to join up. Thanks again for watching the Ed Morrissey Show podcast.